0: This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. I'm going to get your Bibles out and turn to the book of Hosea. Uh, we have been going through for our guests this summer a series called Life-Changing Stories, and back in the... Uh, Winter, we said, Church, tell us your favorite Bible stories. And we got a bunch of them submitted, and we grabbed 12 out of that group. Uh, And some of them were really kind of unfamiliar stories. This one may not be a really familiar story to you. And kind of like last week, I told you last week with Job, I've never preached this story before. And the same thing is true today with the story of Hosea. It's one of those minor prophets. It's kind of stuck in all those little guys, you know, at the end of the Old Testament. It's hard to remember exactly where they are. But page 827 is where Hosea begins in those Bibles. So join there uh, with me today. Uh, This last one, Hosea, again, it's, it's not so hard to understand. Job last week, I told you Job was a difficult book to get a grasp on. This one, not so hard to understand, but what happens to this man, Hosea, is really unusual. And the bulk of the book of Hosea is his prophecy. Most of what is in these chapters is a, a prophetic word from God through Hosea telling what God has said he will do mostly with the rebellious nation of Israel. But to illustrate it, He uses Hosea in his own personal life and he asks him, tells him, commands him really to do something very, very strange. The actual story of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer is his wife. That ought to tell you right off the bat, guys. Don't marry a woman named Gomer. Gomer is his wife. (laughs) The actual story of Hosea and Gomer is a very small part, but God uses his relationship with his wife to illustrate his relationship with Israel. This is how much I love Israel, Hosea. And he uses his own personal marriage to illustrate that. So I hope you're using a Bible. We're going to read some scripture today. We're also going to be celebrating communion. And this story brings out some great understanding of God's love for you and me. We've sung about redemption this morning. How our sin on our part brings God great pain. So as we bring these things out in this story, I hope you'll allow the Spirit to teach you about your own relationship with Christ. And then as we participate in communion, I hope you'll as we're going through the message, you'll be preparing your heart for what communion represents. Hosea, whose name in the Hebrew is the same as the name of Joshua. It's the same name, which is the same as the Greek name, Jesus. Hosea means salvation. He was a prophet, a prophet was someone who God spoke through, spoke his word to, uh, that, and that was received usually in visions or dreams, and then he would communicate that word from God to the people. They did not have a Bible like you and I have today. So when they heard from God, it came through these prophets that God appointed uh, to serve in that manner. His ministry to Israel was from about the year 753 to 722 BC, about 30 years, 31 years or so. 700 some years before Christ. His prophecy told how the Assyrians who lived up north in modern day, what will be modern day Iraq in that area, how the Assyrians, by the way, they were the same people that Jonah preached to in the capital city of Nineveh. How these Assyrians who were very cruel, very hard, very militaristic, very conquering people would come down from the north and invade the northern Jewish kingdom Of Israel. At this time in Israel's history, they were divided. The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And this is mostly about Israel. And his, Hosea's, and Jonah's times were overlapping, they lived at the same time. The prophetic message that he's going to give to Israel will explain to them just why God is angry with them, why they are being punished, why they are being judged so harshly. It's also going to tell them how much God loves them and that he will one day restore them. So it's helpful for me and for you to understand the big picture of God and his chosen people. It's a reminder to us today as we read the story of Hosea that Israel, as God promised all the way back to Abraham, is still part of God's plan because of the promises he made to their founding father Abraham. The promises he's, he hasn't given up on those things. They're still God's people. For me, when I, when I see, when I hear the news... Uh, And Israel is involved, which it often is. I know that God isn't finished with them yet. And his promise was to bless those who bless them. And that's still very valid. It's a reminder to me that we should do as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 122, verses 6 and 7. This should be our practice as Christians today in 2016. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you prosper. May there be peace within your walls and prosperity within your fortresses. Now, we don't know much at all about Hosea. There's not a whole lot of biographical information about this man other, uh, given to us other than his father's name, the name of his wife, and then the name of the three children uh, that, that they would have, that she would bear. Uh, the first thing the prophet heard from God from God to do, uh, we find, and we'll read in verses 1 and 2, was to marry a shady lady. All right, Look with me at chapter 1. Uh, verses 1 and 2, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and of Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, the king of Israel. So it's such a historical time. That's how we can I can say 753 to 722. We know the history. When the Lord first spoke to, Mos- to Hosea, the first thing he heard from God, this first prophecy, if you will, that God gives to him, is this, he said this to him, go and marry a promiscuous wife and have children of promiscuity for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. Now everyone asks the, uh, you know, you're know you asking this question, aren't you? Everybody's asking this question. Why would God ask a prophet, a holy man, to marry a promiscuous woman? Who's asking that question? Raise your hand. All right, if you're not, wake up, please, and be with us here this morning. Everybody's wondering, God, why would you do that? God's telling him to marry a woman of bad morals. And there are are some explanations for that. For example, one, one explanation is that this woman, Gomer, was not yet a prostitute. She's going to become one. But maybe she wasn't yet, that she was pure at the time that Hosea married her, but that sometime after marriage, she began to be promiscuous. And that's a good explanation. At least that makes me feel a little bit better about what God's told him to do. Well, she was okay when you married her, and then something bad, you know, she turned and became immoral afterwards. We can't imagine a holy God commanding one of his servants to do something that, that seems very wrong. Uh, it, it doesn't tell us how he found this woman to be his wife. We're not given any details. God didn't say, go find this woman Gomer and Mary hurry, just this promiscuous woman. I don't know if he went to the to the red light district of town and just kind of stood in the corner and held up a sign that said, will you marry me? And the first one that stepped up was became his wife. I don't know if that's what happened. We don't know the story how he chose her to be his wife. And again, maybe she was not yet into prostitution when they got married. We know that the Bible gives us very high, high ideals of marriage. Married, married partners, the Scripture tells us, are to remain faithful to one another. Adultery is always viewed in the Bible as among the worst, if you will, of sins and betrayals. In Scripture, if you find the list of lists of sins in the Bible, starting with the Ten Commandments, but you go to the lists that Paul gives in his epistles of different things that God opposes. That, that are that are wrong in god 's eyes you 'll always find adultery it 's always in those lists maybe that 's because it isn 't so uncommon among human people, but at the same time it 's so against what God created marriage to be that's that 's kind of one understanding of what 's going on here another is that hosea 's life and marriage, even the names of his children are meant by God to be beautiful illustrations of God's love for Israel. So this is not just a story. This is a man's life and what happened in it, how it relates to what was going on in his culture, in his time. But when, that, when, when God tells him to marry Gomer, his words are, marry a promiscuous wife. And the wording seems, at least it seems to me, by the way it's worded, to mean this woman is already living in a moral life. You know, As I said, you go to the red light district. Hosea, choose a streetwalker to be your wife. Who does that? Who does that? Nobody. Hosea, yet, is, is obedient to God, and he marries this woman of ill repute. And so we have to, and again, ask the question, why? And God gives us the answer in verse 3. It's really clear. For the land is becoming blatant. Committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. God gives the answer. And the answer is, this is, your marriage is going to illustrate the adultery of Israel in her relationship with me, God said. Your marriage, Hosea, will be a living example of what's terribly wrong between the nation who God sees as being, quote unquote, married to him and the God who loves them. So as Hosea delivers this prophecy to Israel, Hosea understands like no other man living the pain that God suffers when His own people, the people He has taken into a relationship of salvation, the people that He's called His own, when they turn away from His love to worship other gods, which God says that is the adultery in the spiritual sense. So Hosea the prophet marries Gomer the prostitute. And they have three children. Verse 3. So he went and married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam. And she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel. For in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Yehu and, and uh, Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow. He's talking about military power. The bow as in bow and arrow. The main weapon of the day. I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, name her No Compassion. No Compassion. For I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. I will certainly take them away. They're going to be leaving the land. I will have compassion on the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. And I will deliver them by the Lord their God. I will not deliver them by bow, sword, or by war. How am I going to deliver them? It's not going to be by military, by, by battle. We'll see what that meant in just a moment. Or by horses and cavalry. And after Gomer had weaned no compassion, she conceived and gave birth to his son. And then the Lord said, Name him not my people. For you are not my people. And I will not be your God. God gave Hosea names for each of these three children, and each name is significant, reminding Israel of their broken relationship with God. It says, began first, it says, Gomer, and the words are, bore him a son. His name was Jezreel. Jezreel was a valley, or is a valley in Israel, the northern part of Israel, where many battles have been fought, Much bloodshed had taken place there. And it was there that Israel would be, historically we know it was there in that valley where the Assyrians would defeat them, would break their bow. And that happened between 734 and 722. And then, when that took place, the kingdom of Israel simply became, was no longer a kingdom, became a province of the Assyrians. A second child was born, this one a daughter. But I want you to notice the difference in the language. The scripture said in verse 3 when he gave birth, when she gave birth to to Jezreel, it says, "And, And she conceived and she bore Hosea a son. Doesn't say that about the next two kids indicating maybe these aren't Hosea's children. right? you see what's going on here? There's a question about this daughter. It could be that this is a sign that she's been unfaithful to Hosea. The daughter's name, Lo-Rahama, which means she is not loved. Her name indicated the Lord's love for Israel would be cut off for a time. Now, Why isn't it cut off forever? Because God made a promise to Abraham way back when, didn't he? You'll always be my people. But it's going to be cut off for a while. There's not going to be any love. They're going to be, if you will, estranged in their relationship. It's a word that that describes the compassion when he says no compassion. That's a word that describes the compassion a father has for a child. It's that kind of fatherly family compassion. No more, he says. The nation's unfaithfulness to God has caused him to temporarily disown them. Yet he would deliver the southern kingdom, Judah, from the Assyrians, which he did in the year 701. You see, when God supernaturally, and you can read the story in 2 Kings chapter 19, when God supernaturally annihilated 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. God did it. They never had to raise a sword, shoot an arrow, throw a spear. as God said, it's not going to be through military means, but I'm going to take care of Judah. And he did. You can read that story there. 2 Kings 19. Had a third child born to Gilmer. And again, no indication that this is definitely Hosea's child. In fact, the child's name means not my people. I think Hosea knew what that meant. This is not my my child, not my son. God says the name is to show that he no longer considers Israel to be his people. Why? The reason is, the reason for this estrangement is so that they can see what happens to a nation when that nation deserts God. All kinds of judgments were about to fall on Israel, and then you can begin to read through the book of Hosea, and God begins to rebuke Israel and tells them through the prophets preaching, through Hosea's preaching, here's why you're being judged. Here's why God's hand of blessing has been taken away from him, uh, them. Here's why your agriculture, you, you, you're having, you're not growing any crops. Your grain, your wool, your linen, he says, is all devastated. I want you to look at God's heartbreak in chapter 2, verse 13. And God says, through Hosea, and I will punish her. Talking about, if you will, his former wife Israel. I will punish her for the days of the Baals. When she burned incense to them, the Baals meant the foreign gods, the gods of the Philistines, the gods of the pagans right around them. I will punish her for her time, days of the Baals. She burned incense to them. She worshiped them, put on her rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, these other gods, but forgot me. This is the Lord's declaration. After realizing that the false gods, they've left for the one true God. They realize those false gods can't provide. God then begins to gently woo Israel back to himself, just like, a, just like a young man does when he's dating a young lady and he whispers sweet nothings in her ear, you know, and tells her the words she longs to hear. And, and uh, as a young man does that, it's the same kind of idea here. Look with me at verse 14 through 16 in chapter 2. Therefore, he, God says, I am going to persuade her. I'm going to lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards back to her and, and make the valley of Achor into a, a gateway of hope. And then she will respond as she did in the days of her youth. When was that? As in the days when she came out of the land of Egypt. Remember when they crossed the, the Red Sea? And the great celebration they had. And, and they sang this great song of praise to God. They realized we are God's people. He's going to care for us. It's going to be like that again. It's kind of like saying, you know, we're going to go back to the days when we were couples, when we, were first, date, when we first fell in love. It's going to be like that again. Verse 16, And in that day, this is the Lord's declaration, You will call me my husband. No longer call me my Baal. You'll come back to me and we will restore this relationship. Verse 20, chapter 2 I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know Yahweh. You will know the Lord. That's his name. You will know me. And on that day, I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. I will respond to the sky, and it will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. And I will sow her in the land for myself. I will put my people back in their land for myself, and I will have compassion. On who? On no compassion. The compassion will return. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. Now, this has not yet where we stand right now in 2016. This has still not happened. This is a future, futuristic event still today for the nation of Israel. And it will happen when they as a nation, when they accept Jesus as their Messiah. And then they will again have a personal relationship with God that they have not had in 2000 plus years. That day's coming. In chapter 3, the story goes back to Hosea and Gomer. Let's go back to a little personal stuff here, Gomer. And apparently, since the birth of her last child, apparently she has left her children, perhaps left them with Hosea, and she's gone out and she has literally become a prostitute. She is out living that kind of life, left him, and has become the property of a pimp. You won't find that word in the in the Bible, but that's what it means. How do you you know? How do you know you, the story that we that we'll find out here in chapter three? Can you imagine, guys, your wife leaving you with three kids to go back into prostitution? Can you imagine the heartbreak that? that can you? Uh, and don't raise your hand, but most of us guys would say that would be it. They'd leave me with these, leave your children, and become a prostitute. That that that's grounds for divorce. We're done. We're over with. That's how most of us would respond. I think that's normal, a normal and natural response. Would you want her back, guys? Would you take her back? Would you be willing to do what Hosea is about to do? Would you be willing to go to her pimp and pay a price to bring her back to you? Pay for your own wife. That's what Hosea had to do. And that's what God told him to do. Verse one, chapter three. Then the Lord said to me, Hosea writes, go again. Show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raising cakes. Is this about little Debbie? What is, it, you know? No, raising cakes were a way of their celebrating the pagan gods and their celebrations and their worship and all that. You go back and, and but it does seem strange and love raising cakes. I can forgive that. So Hosea says, I, "I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley." I went back He went to the pimp, he went to the man that actually owned her now, and said, "I want to buy her back. She's my wife." And he paid this sum that was the sum of purchasing a female slave is what was happening here, of redeeming her. And I said to her, you must live now that he's paid for her. She's going back home with you must live with me for many days. Don't be promiscuous or belong to any man. And I will act the same toward you. I'm buying back something that once belonged to me. I'm the act of purchasing a slave from the auction block is what redemption means to give her back her freedom. But Hosea promised her more than freedom. What did he promise her? He promised her his love, which means he also must have promised her something else. He must have promised her his forgiveness. Had to have. They could not have survived without forgiveness. And she was restored to the place of being his wife. You know, I, I read this story and pretty much that's the end of their story in the book of Hosea. The rest of it is prophecy. But I read the story and I can only say this about this man. Kind of like Job last week. What an amazing man. I don't know any man that would do this. I don't, including me. But Hosea obeyed God and redeemed his wife, now we don't have time to go through all the rest of the book, but the remainder of the book is God telling Israel why he was so angry with them. It was due to their adultery, their worshiping Baal, this false God, and abandoning the God that, that loved them. And the judgments they were about to receive that God's telling them are going to come to them were harsh. But he goes on and he expresses his great love for, for Israel as he tells them about all the things that are going to befall them. If you look with me at chapter 11, verse 1, God says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Chapter 13, verse 4. I have been Yahweh. I have been the Lord your God. Ever since the land of Egypt, and you know no God but me, and no Savior exists beside me. And then in the last chapter, there's a plea from God for them to return to him. Chapter 14, beginning in verse 1 down to verse 3. Israel, return to Yahweh, your God. For you have stumbled in your sin. Take words of repentance, means turning around and going the other way. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sin. And accept what is good so that we may repay you in praise with praise from our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands, to the statues, the idols that we've built. We'll no longer call them our gods. For the fatherless receives compassion in you. And then God promises, God responds to their words, and he promises to take them back as his own. Verse 4 of chapter 14, God says, And I will heal their apostasy, and I will freely love them, for my anger will have turned from them. And as the book ends, it ends with these words in in, in, in verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. Let whoever is wise understand these things, and whoever is insightful recognize them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Now, we're not Israel. We're the church. We're Gentiles. But I think there are some lessons in this story for us. So let me go through several kind of really quickly, but I think there's a bunch of lessons in there for us today that we need to hear. First of all, our relationship with Christ begins with grace. But that grace doesn't stop the moment that you accept Christ as your Savior. That grace never stops. And as we grow it, we discover that it's His grace that takes us from start to finish. Peter wrote to the first century believers in 2 Peter 3.18. Read that with me. Let's read it aloud. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. never stops. That's a lesson from Hosea. A second lesson is our relationship with Christ is described as a marriage. Why? To show the great love God has for us. A marriage. There's no greater example on this earth of what love is all about than a man and a woman who are united together in a covenant relationship and are in love with one another. And by the way, those of us who have been married for a while, newlyweds don't quite grasp this. People have been married just a couple of years, starting to figure it out. But those of us who have been married for years, Gail and I have been married for, since I was a child, for 39 years. And what you discover... As long as you're married, your your love for your spouse continues to grow. He loves us so much that he died for us, the Bible says, and he died for us, why? To make us his bride. Ephesians 5.27 says he did this to present the church to himself in splendor. And he's using the image here of marriage and a bride as a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. What would you think of a bride who showed up to her wedding in her wedding dress and she had coffee stains on it and it looked like she just pulled it out of the washing machine and hung it up you know, and it was all wrinkled. What would you think? My goodness, girl. You're supposed to be shining right now to present his bride to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing but holy and blameless. Our relationship with Christ is as a marriage. Our marriages, those of us who are married this morning and those of us who may be married one day, our marriages are to paint a visible picture of Christ's love for us. Your marriage is a witness to the world. You know, if your neighbors are saying, OK, they're home, time to close our windows so we don't have to hear what's going on. You know, the screaming and the fighting and the yelling, you know, that's not a good witness. Because your marriage is to paint a visible picture of Christ's love for us. Husbands, Ephesians 5.25 says, love your wives. Why? What does your love for your wife show, fellas? It shows Christ's love for the church and how he gave himself for her. Again, I've been married a long time, Dave Brickman. You've been married a long time, have you? One of the things us old timers have learned. Happy wife Happy life, that's right. So when Gail says to me, what, what would you like to watch on TV tonight? My answer, I've just learned. My answer doesn't matter what's on that I might like to watch. My answer is, whatever you like, dear. I have a coffee mug at home and it has two words on it. Yes, dear. Our marriage is. why is that? Because a husband is supposed to give himself to his wife. Provide for her, love her in that way that he sacrifices and he surrenders what he might want for himself to her. Our marriages are to paint a visible picture of Christ's love for us. And then forgiveness requires grace. But get this, this is the hard one to swallow. Forgiveness is never impossible. Forgiveness requires grace, but it's never impossible. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults. Do you know anybody else around you in relationship with you at work, at school, at home that has faults? Hello. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Paul says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, when when I say, when you say in a relationship something's gone sour, something's gone bad, I could never forgive that. You know what we do when we say those words? We discount the grace of God. Another lesson from this story. Christ has redeemed us, and with redemption comes a new start. Ephesians 1 verse 7, he is rich, so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom, how? With the blood of his son and forgave our sins. That's redemption. Bought back from the auction block of slavery, brought us back and said, I love you. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7 tells us that if we cheat on Christ, Hosea tells us if we cheat on Christ, we can expect discipline from him to bring us back. Discipline. That's what the nation of Israel explains to us. God brought discipline upon them. And he said, I, I don't have nothing to do with you. You're, you're, you're going to live without me for a while and see what that's like. And Hebrews 12, 7 tells us as Christians, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you how? As his own children. God's a believer in tough love. God's a believer that sometimes you lay down the law and sometimes the hammer drops. But that's about showing love. Whoever heard of a child that's never disciplined by its father? I've heard of a few. I see them in the stores. I see them out and about. There's no discipline there. And that kid is going crazy. And I want to look at the parents and grab them and said, hey, let me have them for a few minutes. If there's no discipline, you're just saying to your child, I don't really love you. If you say to your child, do whatever you want, no boundaries, I don't really love you. God disciplines us to bring us back. Another point we learn from this story is my sin brings God great pain. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. God experiences pain when we abandon him, when we disobey him, when we tell him, I'm not going to listen to you, I'm going to do my own thing. It brings God pain. And then one more, God will never give up on you no matter how far you stray. From Israel, Gomer, God will never give up on you no matter how far you stray. Remember the story in Luke chapter 15, verse 4? The lost sheep, that parable, Jesus said, What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one? Get this until he finds it. Doesn't give up. And we've sung about redemption and we've sung about and talked about eternal life today, but it doesn't apply to you until you've come to the point where you have said, I do, to Jesus and in salvation have joined the bride of Christ, which is the church, and become his own. And he died for you to be that. Let's have a word of prayer. God, we bless your name. That's an amazing story about Hosea marrying this immoral woman who didn't deserve his love, but yet God... He loved her anyway and showed how much by buying her back. And it illustrates to me the great love that you and our Savior Jesus have for us. So thank you for redemption. Thank you for not ever giving up on us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God. Love others. Reach the world.